In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. We're live. Are we live? We are live. Are you there? Hey, guys. Oh, we got to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing that we do for everybody else who's not watching it live. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. I actually want to do like a little bit of like a tour because we walked in this morning to find what exactly in the podcast studio? There was nothing in here. The office here is undergoing some much needed TLC. Mm -hmm. But nobody said that they were going to... uh, scalp the podcast studio. They were going to scoop out the insides and tuck it into a little room. So we got here. We got the setup. We got cables. We got extension cords. So you guys, the last live stream from the garages, getting to see the banter that happened um, after the fact over on Patreon was awesome. Um, Just to see the conversation that got sparked so we thought that we would start this episode, start the live streams yeah, by addressing some of the questions from the last live stream. Are you talking about Ben's comment? Yes. So if you guys didn't see, Ben uh, had a great observation. Yep. It was here, uh, do you think that the mediocrity, or at least the feeling of it, is a part of the growing process? Then he described knowing that He feels mediocre in his own life. Uh, He identified with that. But when he thought about it, thought about his 15-year-old self and his 20-year-old self, well, you actually didn't say this, Ben, but I think they would think you're doing amazing because Mm. how did you reach the place where you have a family and a house and a job? Like, all of the things that no one who is graduating from high school can imagine how to do for the most part. Right. You've done them, so you must be a superhero. Uh, thoughts on that, Sam? Blaine <laughs> <laughs> and I found ourselves um, quoting Star Wars, not for the first time ever, in a conversation with each other. Just a uh, little episode one, The Phantom Menace, Qui-Gon. There's always a bigger fish. I was sitting around a fire pit with some guys, and they are 10, 15 years older than me. And it felt like if I didn't have... $10,000 of like fun investment money to buy dips and all that kind of stuff that I was somehow... Dips in prices, not like lots of chewing tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually that. They were wanting to go fishing. Um, there's just always somebody else that you're able to compare and isn't helpful. But the the process of initiation in that, I think, was really an interesting observation. Yeah. What it does for me is it helps me clarify an important point that mediocre for me can be a verdict uh, on the level of identity. Yes. uh, 
It's so important because the lifestyle of initiation assumes that you're in process, right? And one of the productive things is that can actually clarify what it means to be a student, which is simply that there's always more to know. Mm. That can be a really good thing. The frustration and shame that I feel is when it feels like you tried and you turned out to be a pretty mediocre person. Mm Mm-hmm. Go enjoy your subpar life. Yeah. Uh, not like, you're you're on time. Yeah, no, you are not very good yes. um, in terms of where you will be yes. at most of the things that you do. But that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Okay, so today's conversation is one I've been having in my head a lot recently. And so as most of your conversations. <laughs> it is lively up there. It's sometimes a little bit circular and I run into I've been meaning to tell you you need more friends. Roll the outro. Um okay. So it feels like everybody I know these days is becoming a therapist or a counselor. And I'm one of them. And so this is a this is a conversation that I've been having with all of the therapists in my mind. Here's the premise. Here's the tension. We are in a cultural moment that is inviting people into a place of feeling like a victim and to have actually fully embrace that and live out of it. Yeah. Um, there's there's this blaming and victimizing cultural moment. And the tension I feel as I walk towards this career path and also experience it as a friend, experience it as a father, as a husband, I want to be inviting people to name their pain and name their trauma. And we've had recent episodes about this, you know, blind spots and doing your story justice and and being really curious about places where there's a blank space, where you giving power to the negative space. That episode is one where I'm like, I really care about this. Like, pay attention to where there are things missing, where there are things missing have power. And I really loved that we got to start it with art because that helped me frame it as like, this is, this is a powerful thing. What I'm worried about is because the cultural gravitational pull is so strong into this place of being a victim and blaming is that I'm worried I'm going to push people over it over that ledge, over the tightrope, whatever it is, whatever the metaphor is that really works. I've been imagining it as a tightrope. And we so have, I'm trying to like, <laughs> I'm trying to like lift people up onto it. But the tightrope is near some kind of gravity well in this metaphor. I, you know, it's not super clear yet. <laughs> it's because gravity. The voices in my head just be right said under it made the tightrope. <laughs> okay. So here's the essential problem. I want to be inviting people to name real pain and real trauma for the sake of healing. And I'm worried that that sometimes tips over the other side and slides towards this gravitational well that is, yep, and now that's your identity. Your identity is this space of brokenness and trauma, and that's okay. Now you have the ultimate excuse. Now like it's everybody else's fault, and if they're not understanding you and your needs and your exceptions... That's on them. And it feels it feels tricky because I've had conversations with Susie about this, my wife, who... Oh, you're married? Didn't know. Yeah, you should meet her sometime. <laughs> uh, we both watched this happen in our community 
several years ago. Surprise, surprise, we were part of the same home church. Not the exact, like, we were all split off into these other, you know, mini clusters. House churches. A piece about that I love is that we get to share our stories. And, like, we would spend a day, a gathering, just hearing one person's story and giving it 30, 40 minutes and then getting a chance to respond to it. And what we started watching happen was that people would tell their stories from trauma to trauma to trauma. And there was a part of it that felt really enlightened and self-aware because there's, there's a power to go, I am the way I am because this happened to me with my father and this happened to me in high school and then this happened to me in my first engagement that ended. And to be able to go, Here, here's what I bring to the table. But it felt incomplete when we were just telling it from trauma to trauma to trauma and then it would sort of end and people would have this like somber look in their eyes and, and be engaging and going, oh, wow, like thank you, for, thank you for inviting us into that. And as like a future, as someone who goes like, I love this, I love therapy, I love caring about this, this aspect, why am I uncomfortable? Why am I disturbed that this is now the landing place? Why am I, and I didn't have the words for it yet, but I think that's, that's part of why I am disturbed by it is that you end up with this identity of, I have all of these wounds, I have all of this trauma, and that's who I am. And if that's the case, I don't see how you don't fall into the cultural victimized, you have these excuses. I have a sense that our audience isn't smack dab in the middle of experiencing this issue, but I'm watching it happen. And so no, but yeah, I want to have this conversation. It? Yeah, it's so important and interesting. It's one of the things that I'm intrigued by is that to name it the outset, right? We're not going to swing all the way over and read extreme ownership aloud to anybody, guys. But, and Em and I, the feedback that we get or used to get a lot more is that, it sounds funny, but like you can pay more attention to people's hearts, not just their will. And so mm. in the tension of this conversation, it's like, whoa, I've spent a lot of my time on the other side of will, decisions, unbelief, all of that. There's a third position here to explore. Mm-hmm. But man, I first want to jump on and go, is it's so interesting. I mean, so I know for a fact, which is odd, that we have some Rene Girard fans uh, in, who's a French philosopher mm-hmm. in the audience, who is one of a cadre of philosophers and political scientists who noticed, like, what's with the voice of the victim? Mm. And how did it come to pass that basically virtue belongs to the oppressed people of the world, which is a real thing. Uh, but you want to know some, one of the things that's really interesting in, in the development of that is the way that you see humanity is going to come into this really fast. Okay. Where you go, if you have, I'm going to put the gravity well back. The very straightforward metaphor, tie there's, rope, There's no well. tie ropes in it. You are now in outer space. Okay. To pick an example at random in the movie Interstellar. Okay. <laughs> and Gargantua is nearby the black hole. But what Gargantua is... Thanks for playing that music for us this morning too, by the way. Welcome. I thought it would help you focus. I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
gargantua is a way of viewing the world, viewing humanity. Mm. What we actually have is like, you know, we have a resurgence of classical materialism here, historical materialism, which is like... I was, that's what I was going to say. That history is about power. Uh, all history is mm. the history of power dynamics. Everything is either is oppressor and oppressed. Uh, there's nothing outside of that. Uh, and every system of categories, every system of hierarchies is an expression of class power. Mm. This is Marxist thing. Okay. When all there is, is power dynamics. And you have to choose between two options. Okay. Oppressor and oppressed. Yes. With the rest of human nature being intact, I'm not going to choose oppressor. Uh, right. Because oppressed is the way into uh, love, validation, and connection. Hmm. So there is this to go one... And at this moment in time, because the actual experience of being oppressed isn't necessarily something you'd say, you know, what I'd love to be is a Jew in Germany in 1940. I was wondering what date you were going to pick. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? Like No, exactly. Um, no, 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 no. The I'd say that when I have a strong pull for love and validation, belonging and affirmation, yeah. and I can unconsciously scan the room, scan the world, uh, and make decisions that are influenced my, by my desire to be loved, yeah. I can figure out like, oh, on a deep level, I right can now. see yeah. that it's better to foreground yeah. the things that have been done to me where my will was not involved. Yeah. People will respond to that. Okay, here's a just um, off the top of the head. The world without Jesus is incapable of fully healing a person. Ooh. And so I don't think the world responds well to a fully healed person. Whoa. Because they there's something that in that disconnect of you have what I can't have or you've achieved something I haven't achieved or there seems to be a balance about you. What is it? I think there's a level of envy that wants to kill it. A level of if I can't have that, then you shouldn't have it either. Wow. And the world is actively chasing that healing through mindfulness, through yoga, through healthy eating, through the right car and all of I me, mean, like the things that we talk about, where we go, ah, oh, man, love the country song that money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me a boat. And this come up a lot recently. <laughs> <laughs> the boat has, because it's summertime and it's like, yeah, right. I don't need healing as long as I have the boat because then I'll be distracted and it won't matter. Yeah. So what do you, what is with, I want to know more about what's with, because you're, yeah, yeah. you're getting real training right now. Yes. And one of the things that I'm curious about <laughs> is, is there a bent toward addressing trauma in sort of the professional counseling world that you can see? That is there a bent that's like, now people are mostly yeah. wounded. Right. Get them to see that and own that, and then they can be fixed. Uh yeah, that's a fair question. I think 
okay, so there's like the cultural, it's safe in this particular moment in time to be a victim. It's safe to be the oppressed, which I think is, I like really don't want to go chase that rabbit trail oh, but don't too, you? too far because it just feels like poking a bear in the eye with a stick. And I'm aware of that. Um, I think the question you're asking makes me think of like, well, on, on one hand, um, if I'm a painter and I paint houses for a living, I it, it is to my benefit to go around and, and find the houses where the paint is chipped and where it's worn and to to convince the people that own that home that what they need is a fresh coat of paint and that I have the ability to bring that. And then once we deal with those homes, I think it, it behooves me to remind everyone whose home may look fine that it's actually best practice to protect the home and the integrity of it to apply fresh paint fairly regularly every every you know handful of years or so and handful might be a bit too frequent but you get the idea right like at at, at some level i want to acknowledge counselors and therapists like that's an occupation and it does not help them to go humanity is basically fine <laughs> It sounds like most people's deep-seated suspicion that auto mechanics savage yeah. their cars. Oh, John Dale <laughs> gets on me all the time. He's like, auto mechanics love the check engine light. They love it because we don't like seeing it. And often why it's on isn't actually affecting the performance of the vehicle. And you could get along without fixing it. But we want it to be, we want all those dashboard lights to be off. Now, that's me being a little bit of a skeptic. And that's me being a little <laughs> bit of like, a, I, I want to name... All the lights are on on my dashboard. I, I was reading in a textbook the other day, there's certain language that is helpful to deliver to a client where you're like, we can walk through this healing together and there's avenues of greater health. And I would point to, I know therapists who have been practicing for years who they really do not want to see the same person indefinitely. That, the client, they want there to be an endpoint. They want there to be a, we are going to work through something very specific. We're going to reach a place of you able to practice new patterns and walk in new health. And then I hope to not need to work with you. I hope to release you and for you to be well. And I know I've got some college friends who like, they meet their therapist weekly for now like 10 years. That like raises the alarm for me of, I would love to see a chiropractor weekly especially with little babies carrying them around all the time. But it would be a poor uh, verdict of health that they would have no longevity to it. And so that's where I would, I would say, I think, because I'm chasing after this, I don't think therapists are making mountains out of molehills. I think there is trauma because we are in a broken world and people have horrendous stories. So I don't actually think that they're turning on engine lights where there aren't engine lights. However... I think it's particularly tricky at this moment because when someone leaves your office and they jump on Facebook, they are given a message that says, like, you should continue owning this. This is more of your identity than it's not. And that's part of where I want to, like, begin dissecting this. One of the banner verses around here is, the, is Isaiah 61. I've come to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives. Like, that is one of the, the mission statements of Jesus, and therefore, I think of people who want to bring healing to others. And what I would point to in that is a captive is no longer a captive once they've been freed. 
They're, yeah. not, they're not referred to as a captive anymore. Someone who's, who was brokenhearted and has been healed is not now is still named as brokenhearted. They are named as healed. So you, you're named as free, you're named as healed. And that's where for me, this conversation, I want that to be the fruit of it, right? So I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I've given it as a response at a few boot camps back when uh, humans gathered in large numbers. It's been, a, it's been a hot minute. The great migration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about my, my story with depression. Diagnosed with depression around the age of 19, 20. Found out at that age that depression runs in the family and it's genetic. And I felt almost like affronted, like nobody had told me this might be a category for me until I couldn't get out of bed. And it was like, this would have been helpful, you know? Like, hey, um, bad eyesight runs in the family. We might want to get your eyes checked fairly young just so that we can preempt that and give you what you need. So that was a bit frustrating. But then I was, I fully embraced the identity of, oh, I, it shifted from I have depression to like, I am a depressed person, which really is like swallowing the pill of identity. I am brokenhearted. I am a captive, full stop. And took medication, saw a counselor for years. I'm actually, I'm pro-medication. I think that we have casts for arms to heal. I think medication is a great cast for the mind. And I think like a cast for the arm that it's meant to help restructure and then it's not meant to be permanent. I know for a lot of people it is something that's permanent, just like wearing glasses is something that's permanent. But in an ideal world, it would be like a cast. So I walk through years and years of owning I'm a depressed person. And then at some point, like I hated it. Like I really did Um, because it felt like this ceiling that was put on who I am and and how I was going to be experienced. And I wanted more. And I had this moment where I was praying and wrestling with it and felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, what if you were not a depressed person? What if you battle depression? And for me, it was this big unlocking moment of, oh, it's become my identity rather than it's become a battle, a thing that I will wrestle with in seasons. And making that shift for me open the doorway to healing, open the doorway to not living under that banner, right? So um, it's been now over a decade since I've needed medication. And there's definite seasons where like, I'll, I'll have like a low couple of weeks and be like, oh no, like, I am afraid of slipping back into this. And this is really hard, particularly in the winter when there's not a lot of sunlight and haven't you know, been getting a lot of exercise. I know there's things that I need, but when those moments come, it's not like the identity has moved back in of like, well, you're you're depressed, so this is your lot in life. Yes. All right, we have to talk about the third way because I feel the tightrope, right? Yeah, see, it works. The tightrope's there. Even, I feel even though like I'm going to fall off one and you're side. you're Matthew McConaughey. One side, you know, it's so similar in so many ways. So many like, ways. I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> you're both white men. Boom, baby. There you go. I mean, you can create any category you like. These days, people would say that's basically the same. We're both ruck snatches. Um, I think you people are going to think that's a real thing, and I'm now <laughs> concerned. <laughs> so take it back to the tightrope. Where are you going with this? I want to go, like, 
Christians especially. Do you want to try saying that word again? No, I like the way I said it. (laughs) We have inherited a legacy inside the church, depression being a great example, of ignoring things that are outside of a person's power. And we can talk about, Mm. you know, the influence of classical uh, philosophical liberalism on Christianity. We could, but uh, and most of us like don't. A, just a strong, strong emphasis of people to make choices. Yeah. And that's really bad. That's been very unhelpful to go, everything is under your power to control. So stop feeling depressed is bad when a person needs may need medication, right? And... Why are we having a conversation about the pull to frame your story exclusively as trauma? And I would say, depending on your context, you may feel the pull less. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're inside a particular kind of Christian community, like they might tell a story about humanity. That's mm-hmm. you are a sinner saved by grace. Yes. I would be surprised right. if somebody hasn't heard And that. there's no space in that story for things to have happened to you that weren't your fault. Mm. Right? It's like, you're a sinner. You've made choices. And so, uh, like, uh, so own it and get to the root of the unbelief and repent. By the way, I'm a big fan of some of these tools, right? Uh, And we're not going for an Aristotelian mean here. You like Uh, repentance. I like repentance. I'm glad to hear that. I would say that the, uh, the interesting thing that we're talking about here is that uh, high tide like super big high tides, let's call it like, you know, tsunamis can be yeah. really bad, right? Is a tsunami technically a high tide? It's, it's kind of the... Physicists fact check me, but I think it's more... It's, a tsunami is more like a tide than a wave. Uh, um, okay. That's that why it's be, pictured as a wave that on could be every tsunami wrong. sign. That's why I'm... I'm going to walk this one back. Keep going. And I'm going to give to my original thing, but yeah. to go... But you can imagine like an extreme low tide being a problem for barnacles. <laughs> uh, so are we barnacles in this? We're barnacles. Tell me out here. The point is that while these two extremes are both bad, mm. the tide does not go both ways at once, mm. right? The momentum, uh, a culture's momentum does not go both ways at once. Now, you can mm. exist inside a microculture that's going a very different direction, in which yeah. case you need to address a different kind of problem. So in this conversation, if you are inside a culture that does not recognize at all the impulses of trauma... Right, it might not be a pull towards being a victim. We would have to have a different conversation, right? Yeah. Going to like, yeah, like getting a person to engage their story. Mm-hmm. But let's say, I promise you guys a future podcast where, I, where we will make the case. For what? Uh, for... For the tide to be going in the direction of tell your story as a victim, oppressor, Mm -hmm. oppressed. A vision of humanity uh, that is ultimately unhelpful because it's incomplete uh, Mm. uh, or inaccurate. A story that is inaccurate won't heal a person, right? So the way of the gospel is different. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating that Jesus does not come and say, I'm here to get sinners to repent. But by the time Paul the Apostle is writing, 
he knows that metanoia, he knows that repentance, uh, he knows that provoking the Jews to jealousy, that all of this is a part of what God is doing. But Jesus frames his mission as, I'm going to overthrow spiritual evil and I'm going to heal mm-hmm. broken people. Mm-hmm. You go, I'm a broken person. I, what? I'm, I wait, sorry, don't own the identity because that's a thing that can be really unhelpful. Uh, you can be like, but you are. In Jesus' story, I am a once yes. glorious image bearer of God in a state of ruin. Mm-hmm. And I'm broken and things have happened to me and not everything's my fault. Whoa, awesome. But then as I start to run that way, I think that in my story of understanding more of my heart, it kind of did go from, oh my gosh, not everything is my fault. What? Whoa, I'm exploring some mm-hmm. pain here. And then I begin to run into the way that I responded. And I have this other, oh crap. How did you respond? Uh, well, if you follow this podcast, you know some of the core things, but it would be yes. And then I every day choose a salvation strategy, consciously or unconsciously. Mm. And Things that are a matter of my volition, of my will, do need to be addressed that way. Where mm-hmm. I go, okay, uh, but if it's me, it would go, Blaine, you hid your heart from the world and try, and try to see what's needed and do it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That has hurt your wife. That has hurt your friends because they haven't had a person to be able to relate to. And I need to go, that's true. And now there's a story there that needs to be addressed really kindly and makes sense of like, here's the situation. Here's what happened. Mm. And let me own in my dialogue with Jesus, let me look at like, uh, I've done this and I don't want to stop hiding my heart. I don't want to stop performing. Like, I feel mad at you. Oh man, what do we do here? A combination of healing, Mm -hmm. which is very important, and addressing in me a voluntary impulse, a voluntary choice to ignore the heart, ignore some of the things that Jesus is like was saying to me, make it so that it's always other people's fault when there's tension because I've done the right thing. Oof. Oof. Okay. So I do want to flesh out more like the story that came to me. It feels like the answer that is often right in the way that I feel settled and we judge its fruit as being healthy is usually not the easiest. The easy answers tend to have poor fruit. And right now I would say being pulled to one side of that like title equation of strong victim or um, totally ignoring pain would both be wrong. And they'd both be easy and they'd both result in poor fruit. And I do want to say like, okay, so... Lachlan Morton. This is the story that came to mind. Oh, yeah. I, for those of you who don't know who Lachlan Morton is, he's amazing, probably one of the best cyclists in the world living right now. Um, go to YouTube, Google him, watch him ride 
from one end of Britain to the other, like, and he loves it. So I enjoy watching this guy because I go, you are, you're insanely talented at this and you love doing it. And so I like watching you. Well, one of our videos, he went out and broke the record for the Cocapelli Trail, which starts in Utah and ends in Colorado and it's mountain bike and road. And his dad was supporting him on this, this attempt. And so he's in the film and his dad has this hat. They're Australian, by the way. So this helps like paint the, the accent in which he says it. And the hat says, never better. And the dad says to the camera, like, oh, th that's my answer. When anybody asks how I'm doing, never better. And that would be like the opposite end of things where I go, oh, I, I watched that and I actually really was drawn to it. I'm like, I think I want to buy that hat. I think I'm actually committing the error of when people ask, I've been pushing against the, yeah, man, I'm good for so long that I have now been drifting into a, another rut of, man, it's been a rough season. And I keep speaking that over and over and over again. And so I'm committing that, like, I want to pursue healing, but I'm erring on the side of just looking at the pain, just looking at the difficulty, and to, to experience somebody who's just looking at, I, I just go from peak to peak to peak. Like, I, there's other things in the way, but I am moving onwards and upwards to better things. And then there was part of me, I'm like, oh, I really want to, like, I want to absorb that. I hear someone's an optimist, and I'm like, teach me your ways. I want to know. <laughs> um, yes. And I want to name for that that person again, like that may be easy for them, that may be difficult for them. I would say it's an incomplete picture because there's no way anybody has gotten through this life without pain, without heartbreak, without trauma. And what we do these days to validate that, and I am all for this, like you do not compare that. Yours, your story mm. is valid in and of itself. You do not have to be a starving child in Africa for your suffering to matter. You do not have to be living in a war zone or to have catastrophic pain in your life for your pain to matter. That is all true. And the hope of Jesus and the hope of real healing is that you get healed and that your identity is now something new. Your identity is maybe even back to what was intended to be glorious, to be like God, to walk in creating and ruling and offering that to others. Like that's the great hope. And for me, that's the thing that gets me so excited about doing this thing, though it is a the hardest answer and the most complicated because it's really tempting to pull one way or the other, which is to ignore the other half. Yeah. Wow. The question that comes to mind, right, in response to that fact, what do you do with it? I think one of my recommendations, one of the things when I look at my life in this season, uh, is obviously, you know, kind of two things. There is a seasonality. What I'm aware of is it's not just trying to strike a balance. This is the failure of the tightrope metaphor. Uh, that's great. I mean, right. I'm sure there are a few. Well, one is that it's in space. But, uh, uh, yeah, I guess metaphors are really interesting to perfect and there's no flaws with people. Them. Oh, know. yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, keep going. Stay on target. Okay. Uh, it's not about striking a balance, actually, where you go, 
yeah, well, I've been I've been doing some inner healing, so now I need to probably do some, like grab my you know pull myself up by my bootstraps. Mm. Be like, like I think that a good question would be, uh, what do you feel an emotional reaction to, mm. and push in there? Like when we talk about depression, uh, does the idea that you may need medication make you mad? Mm. Or does the idea that you may be able to get better, uh, you may be able to, and even the way I phrase that, does the way I phrase that make you mad? Mm. Uh, and push in and go, why? Uh, there is gold to be had there. Uh, and to go, I mean, do you have a deep commitment to never being weak or never because the downside of the position of the victim is like, it's actually not fun to be powerless. These traumatic experiences uh, are some of the worst parts mm -hmm. of my life. And uh, especially in response to my younger self, the lack of power is something that I can feel ashamed of and rage at, right? It's like, and so there can be a commitment to go like, I, I simply won't engage things that are under my will that would be worth pushing into. If on the other side, you're like, how could you ever say that uh, depression is temporal, not uh, chronic? You know, like, where am I totally resigned and I don't want to try anymore? Or like, <laughs> and how do you feel that the secular world has come to terms with the fact that your brain can rewire itself so the secular world believes in new healing in ways that you might not be. Right. And the secular world is beating you in the narrative of healing and you've, oh, yeah. and you've got Jesus. There's a problem. You've said a few things that I really want. <laughs> really, really great quotes in this. Uh, but if the secular world has a better vision, a better story of healing than the gospel, you're missing something in the gospel. That's uh, missing something in Jesus. Uh, so yeah. right, to reiterate the question of uh, which of those options, mm -hmm. which of those alternatives currently makes you mad, sit with that. Mm -hmm. It will be productive. Yeah, I think for those of you listening to this podcast, as it's aired, we're going to be shifting over to uh, our chat with our live stream that we're able to do thanks to Patreon. So if you're intrigued about that, um, you can go over to ansonsmagazine.com um, and check out our Patreon. I think we might tease a little bit of the, the back and forth here. Let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, da, da, da. All right. I need to bring this closer because right. my eyes are getting old. All um, of you is getting old. All, get out of here. <laughs> all of me is getting old? All right, Blaine. All right. Bring this in. Why don't you take a look? Scrolling down. Oh. Oh, what's up, guys? Hi, Stacy. Oh. Yes. No, can I talk about this one? Uh, Stacy, yeah. your comment here. Do you not think that there is something attractive and hopeful to the wounded healer? Does my redemption offer hope for those around me who need redemption? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that sharing out of our stories and sharing out of our pain, I mean, the wounded healer, that's a chapter, that's a title of a book. Like, it is. I'm thinking of Leading with a Limb, Dan Allender's book. Okay, well, there's a lot on this as well. Um, and that is the hope, right? The hope isn't that we there's a cadre of us who were like Jesus and who never were never sinned and never experienced that kind of 
brokenness and needed that kind of healing. Um, and if you were to sit there and go, you're just wounded, that you haven't experienced healing, I would be, I would wonder like, what, what are you offering? Like if, if you have not experienced any hope for newness, any hope for a close of a chapter on something, then I, the allure gets pretty low for me. Then the offer is management. The offer is like how to navigate this with it being less painful. Yeah. One other comment on that, that it's a great observation. A related point is that, um, you know, isn't there something in the wounded healer would go, yeah, so what about, you know, Jesus and the resurrected wounds? What about mm-hmm. suffering being a part of the way that Jesus restore, was able to restore the world without destroying it? Yeah. Um, which is important to go, <laughs> guys, aside, uh, brokenness and healing always touches on the issue, the thing of suffering and how you frame that. And also, and so adding be like, yeah, there there's also the reality that uh, suffering is a part of union with Christ um, mm-hmm. and part of participating in a redemption plan for the world that was accomp- achieved uh, through the suf- through suffering and in suffering. So, um, super good, and that's I think where I I, I would point to the now and not yet. Um, one of the things I love most about the vision of the new heaven of Jerusalem, the, the tree of life that ha- its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Like that almost brings me to tears every time I encounter it um, because it promises that you're not going to be whitewashed into a new state of being, that you're not going to enter the kingdom and be like a, a switch is flipped and you're totally fine. There's something in me that would feel really missed by that. There's something in me that would feel like all that I'd carried, all that I've grieved, all of the losses, all of the, the deaths that I carry with me um, I think of the uh, our miscarriage and go, I, I experienced healing from that and I also carry that. And I would hope that there would be some way that God is going to honor it. And to, so for me, that, that tree with like the promise of a further healing, even in the kingdom, um, that brings a lot of hopeful tears for me. So the now and not yet tension. That's good. Jacob. So here's what he said. Years ago, my stories of suffering were often answered with, but at least it's not as bad as Blank's story, which made me stop telling others and thinking my suffering doesn't matter. Uh, Man, and he's saying, when sharing my wounding, the questions when and to whom come to mind. Yeah. That is all so important. Oh, my gosh. I I think we've both heard that in different contexts. I've heard it not just from the voice of the enemy, but, you know, also from people going— do you know what's happening to the church around the world? It's like, the, do you think you're, um, and and as people respond, yeah, and and fail to respond, mm-hmm. it over time uh, reinforces in me a distrust of people, a lack of desire, like some even resignation in yeah. uh, having my heart seen and going. Well, a good example of what em- empathy isn't. That tension of when and to whom it raises again that, like. Guarding your heart is a thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. The final thought I think for me is identity and naming have a ton of power. And it is true 
that you have pain. It is true that you have trauma. But the promise of the gospel is that those can be addressed and be healed. And I would hope that you have learned to begin walking in some of those things. And so a practice for Susan and I in moments of new hardship is to point to old healing and to go, mm. I am not back now to square one. God has done this for us and this for us and this for us. And this is who we are. We are healed from this and this and this. And there is a new frontier in front of us. That does not mean that we are stuck in a cycle of never being healed. And therefore we need to embrace that. And that doesn't mean that I need, now need to ignore it and try and just be all okay. Because to, ignore, to engage it would be to succumb to not being fully healed. Like There is a now and not yet. And that is uncomfortable. The kingdom is here and it is not yet in its fullness. And we need to walk in some of the tension of that. So I would be very curious about what the identity is that you are walking in. 